Sometimes I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get that ditch. You don't have to get that ditch. Attaccare! Attaccare! <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is why we're almost 10 minutes late. <laughs> Worth every second. It was worth, worth it. every extra second. It was second. so worth it. That is, Lockie, congratulations. That is a fantastic intro. Thank you. You know what, Nick? Sometimes, uh, I don't know. No, sometimes <laughs> sometimes inspiration strikes. Uh, you know, the, the host of the show comes to you with a, a very specific brief, and I, I like to think that that, that delivered on, on the, yes. the outline that you set for me. I, I remember um, we were chatting this morning, I think it was, earlier this afternoon, about uh, that I didn't have an intro. And um, did come up. we did, we had to, you know, start to come up with something. And, you know, we, we, in ourselves, in our off air time, we quote Tancredi Palmieri's uh, famous espressino line. And lot. what is an espressino? Well, it's, it's a pot of milk. It's a pot of milk. A with Nutella, Nutella around all over the, the world of the cup. cup. <laughs> it's a good one. It is a good one. I haven't one. tried they, it yet. I wonder no. if they do that in, in Melbourne. I don't think they do espressino, but there definitely is time for espresso if you go to a, a Melbourne cafe. As, uh, you know, obviously this theme song, you might have heard it in previous FNR lore, um, going back about three and a half years now. It's been a long time since we've heard that theme song. It is the it old is. theme song of Mr. Dancing David Davudovich. And Lockie, you actually posted, well, not posted, okay, you I, made the meme. I did. And our good friend Joey Lynch was the one who posted it. Yes, we never thought we would actually see the light. The old today. video of uh, Dave Davidovich dancing to the football Q&A theme yes. song, God, and, God Rest His Soul. And the reason as well why it reminded me was because when I said espresso, it reminded me of Dave down at having the Torno, Having the Piadina. Having a Piadina. Uh, no, it was a toasty. And having the <laughs> espresso, as he said, and the Italians are up and about. We're going to talk about all of that. Obviously, you are... Listening to him and said the show name. It's the Euro Show here well, on it is, it is the Euro Football Show. If, if the whole Juventus espresso thing didn't give it away, yes. it is the Euro Show. And uh, um, no time to take an espresso for Juventus, and no. apparently also no time for them to go to an accountant. Nick no, Dubai. they they definitely haven't been able to go to an accountant, or definitely they're going to the wrong accountant, and that's why they maybe should look up and in the uh, directory DKP and Co Chartered Accountants because I'm good, sure it's a good show. They wouldn't have them uh, facing these sort of investigations at the moment. Uh, we'll touch on that in just a second. We'll have a look at the. Crazy Serie A title race. Um, absolutely mental stuff going Crazy. on there at the moment. Uh, between Milan dropping points again, Inter closing the gap, Napoli with a big win. And then obviously at 6.30, we're going to be joined by Stan Sports own the man himself, the Stoll. Nick Stoll. The Stolich. Nick Stoll oh, joining us to talk Nick Stoll. a little bit about Barcelona. Never Gellar. disappoints, Nick Stoll. No, he doesn't. He never does. And a quick Only his teams disappoint him. Well, Barcelona started winning, and I'm mm, sure that point. he'd be able to tell us a little bit about what's going on with Barcelona and a little bit about what's happening in La Liga as well with Real Madrid and their neighbours, Atletico Madrid, who I really enjoyed seeing them fall to AC Milan in midweek in the Champions League. We'll touch on that all in about just over, or just about mm, about 20 minutes' time, I reckon. Beautiful. We'll see how we go. Lockie, let's, let's start with the Serie A. I mean, we, oh. it's been a crazy, crazy week. 
uh, when you look at some of the results that's been happening in this league. This is why it's the best league in the world. But, um, there are a <laughs> Instant lot of... propaganda. This is yes, great. This it is, is in good. my Twitter bio. I am a Serie A propagandist. It's just in the way it happens. If you listen to my content on this show, I will find a way to let you all know that this is the best league in the world. Um, crazy morning, really. Uh, yeah. Milan, Sassuolo, 3-1 win for Sassuolo. Milan lose a second straight game in the league. Um, and, you know, after beating Atleti midweek at the Wanda Metropolitano, I really expected Milan to bounce back, Mike Magnon back between the sticks, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Um, they were battered after taking an early lead, Alessio Romagnoli scoring inside the opening 20 minutes. Minutes after that, Gianluca Scamacca, Marona. What a hit. I tell you what, like, if you haven't bought stocks in Gianluca Scamacca yet, you've already missed the boat because they are pretty damn pricey now and you know what if you did get on them early you have a nice well, little kitty Nick, w- whenever whenever i check you know over and watch milan's games or check the results in the morning when i'm not able to watch i always instantly think of you and how you're doing because i know you do mm. wear your your milan fandom yes. on your sleeve and mm. probably in other places as well um and i always just always just think of, of how is nick doing and i reckon you must have cut a very conflicted figure when you were watching this game because obviously yes sassuolo just just a great, just a fun football team. Yeah. They played they played well, scored some ripping goals. So on the one hand, you're upset that Milan are losing. Yes. But then also, you're seeing a front three of Domenico Berardi, Jacques Raspadori, and Gianluca Scamacca. Yes. Two future Italian mm. starters and mm-hmm. one who's already, well, two are very much part of the present plan as well. Well. One maybe not that far away. Well, Scamacca should be in the starting you, But you, mu- you must feel very conflicted because on the one hand, I'm sad for Milan, but to see three star-studded or brilliant Italian attacking forwards at either ends of their mm-hmm. career um, must also make you feel quite good. Uh, yeah. I mean, Sassuolo always beat Milan. If you haven't really been paying attention ever since Milan, Sassuolo got promoted in 2013-14, Milan have always had weird games against Sassuolo. Sassuolo got Allegri sacked. They famously beat Milan in 2014 in Keisuke Honda's debut game for Milan. Uh, Berardi scored a hat-trick that day. Um, There was, I think, that Sassuolo, literally the grim reaper of Milan coaches. It wouldn't be the case for Stefano Pioli, of course, because he just signed a new extension. But I believe as well that... I'm really going back. I think Inzaghi's last game as Milan coach was also against Sassuolo. And it just seems like that every time Sassuolo either come to the Sunset or Milan go to the Mapai, that they're always in for an absolute horror show, like that they're going to be tested by just something that's in the water with Sassuolo, even though they've changed that many coaches since then. Yes, Lockie, you are just seeing that. Skamaka I just rewatched finish. that Skamaka goal. Unbelievable. Oh, my word. Yes, it was a, it was a crazy gracious. And, the thing that I've noticed with Milan in this game, what, what really got me was, again, for the second straight game, individual errors costing them at key moments. Happened against Fiorentina with Tataroshano between the sticks and some mistakes with Matteo Gabbia. Today, as you will see when you're catching up on this third goal in a sec, Lockie, um, the, the third goal for Berardi, Alessio Romagnoli's day went from good to bad to terrible. Um, Berardi just wrong-footing him, sending him you know, flying across goal. An amazing finish in the end, and Romagnoli was sent off. But it's amazing how this has all happened ever since Fakayo Tomori went down injured. He's missed the last two games in the league, and Milan have conceded seven goals in this mm. period of time. Um, it goes to show how important he is to that back line. As much as Romagnoli has had a good season, mm. same with Simon Kier, um, the problems of playing them two together has gone back long before yeah. 
because they're not very quick centre backs. Well, and we saw in this game they were both. Yes. I mean, yeah, the the own goal. Not yeah, a that huge, was unlucky. Not a huge amount you can do about that, but gee, like that. <laughs> Alessio yeah. Romagnoli got absolutely yeah, and you see it as well by Berardi for, on that. On you that see third it one. for the red card. Romagnoli beaten for pace, takes out the player. The first goal as well, a mistake from Bakayoko at the back, and I thought Bakayoko was really good off the bench Is, against Atleti. But have, have Milan been experimenting with a three at all this year? Is three that, in midfield? No, in, at the back. Oh, at the back. They they get the three of them in. Could they they did against Juventus. Um, Tomori started right back technically, but it, they immediately changed it because yeah. Simon Kier got injured and Kalula was forced on in that game. So, the well, one what, thing. Well, what do you think is the way forward here? Well, because I think, I think this isn't panic been, stations yet, Lockie. This okay. isn't panic stations because end of the day, this Milan team is not at hundred percent. All right, That's Tomo- true. Tomori That's true. is out. Mike Mignon's just come back after two months on the mm. sideline with a broken hand. He's actually come back a month early. Um, Davide Calabria, their starting right back, is out. I know Alessandro Florenzi started this game, but he had, this was his first start in months. Again, mm-hmm. similar thing with injuries. Um, Sandro Tonali didn't start. Again, the rotation policy of Milan coming through. And the uh, going back the other way, as much as there's this fantasizing about Zlatan and even I know you love Olivier Giroud, um, about them leading the line is that ultimately there's a trade-off in that because you lose a lot for what they can't do and they're not pressing forwards. They're not mobile forwards. They're very much, Mm. they they stagnate the way Milan attack. In fact, Milan actually looked best despite his obvious limitations, Ante Rebic leading the line because of literally the chaos he causes because, well, it's, I feel, I feel like that. I feel like the, the transition from, from Rebic to a Giroud or Ibra type is literally, one, it's one end of the spectrum to the yeah. other. Like you've got one who or two options who are great at sort of link play, um, can be that person to bounce passes off, help facilitate those around yeah. them, not just their own striking abilities. But when it comes to transition, getting them up the pitch, yeah. uh, it's easier said than done. You're both coming towards yes. this is both a fine vintage. Just- Rebish, completely the opposite. He is Never back to goal. He is, uh, the only Gun time home. he has his back to goal is if he's like going back and the ball's in the opposition team's position. Yeah, and he's, other than that, he is chest gun barrel straight towards the goal, going yeah, just the like Forest ter- Gum Terminator Two style. But <laughs> the thing is though, with with Rebic and Zlatan, the difference is they especially you notice that Rebic is a tendency with his off ball movement. He's actually pretty smart. I mean, he opens up channels for Salamakers, Diaz, and Liao, and. We know how good Rafael Liao has been this season. Mm. Same with Diaz and Salamakers, very smart footballers. They really thrive off that. Remember against Liverpool especially, even in that loss, the off-ball movement of Rebic dragging defenders across, being able to open up channels for Diaz and Liao to get in behind, even for Rebic to get in behind for one of the goals too. Um, with Zlatan, the thing that they're hoping for is that Zlatan can draw the, the pack. You know, like we knock it to Zlatan, defenders are going to, Crap yeah, the you're crumbing forwards. Yeah, and do you gonna... give do you give Rafaelio another As run through the middle? We don't have the options because there's no with Rebic injured. There's no one else to play on the left, and yeah. this is where Milan failed. And I'm being blunt: is the fact that what they failed with Jens Petterhalga, why they sold him? Yeah, because Jens Petterhalga was done terribly at Milan the way that they treated him for that season because he every time he played, he was electric. Mm. Um, they don't have another left winger unless you're playing Junior Messias, who, despite being the hero the other day, we haven't seen much of Messias in what he's been able to do for, in a bigger body of work. So you can't really be drawing those comparisons. But what might happen is I wouldn't be surprised if this is an area Milan do look at in January 
they have to look at getting some sort of other winger in there because Salamakers and Liao are playing ridiculous minutes because of mm. the injuries to Rebic. Hauger is a is a loan with an option to, to but he's, buy. He's definitely going. Or it's he's an obligation. To, it's yeah. an obligation to buy because the fact is Milan kind of like a lay buy. Really, it is a lay buy. The deposit has been paid, and put it like this: Frankfurt are going to pay for him because he's a yeah. he's a starter at Frankfurt. He's a big time player there, and I think yeah. that you know he's not going to come back and sit on the bench as much as he actually has left Milan. And he always says, "I have got nothing bad to say about my time there." When there was times last season where you're sitting there and you're going, "Why is this man mm. still on the bench?" Well, and it's made worse by the fact that. This weekend, as opposed to the pre- mm. you know the previous weekend, obviously it was Milan's first loss in the league going yeah. down to Fiorentina. The good thing, though, at least in terms of the title race for Milan that week, was that Napoli also lost. Yes, but didn't they happen won. this time around. They yeah, thumped Lazio. Well, this is Napoli just taking it to another level, and I think the interesting thing that they were still able to win so convincingly without Victor Osimhen, who's out for two months with a really bad facial yeah. injury, like compound fracture, I think it is in, in his uh, cheek. Um, Dries Mertens, I would say winding back the clock, but he's still got it. Uh, two goals in the opening half. I mean, the second goal. Unbelievable. Unreal. Ma- what a kick Ma- in the word of us. <laughs> Unbelievable kick. And also, though, without Zamba and Guisa as well in midfield, who's been a brilliant pickup for them. Um, they found a way to get the job done today. Lazio, they've got a lot of issues defensively at the moment. Um, just a cheap plug to Ante and I's City Pod that we've done, and we've said it all season, that this defense and the way they're set up in this, the, the, the defenders that play in the Sardi system at Lazio with Acerbi and Luis Felipe are just getting spanked every single week for the way in which they play. Mm. They're much better in a back three. They don't suit the back four. And Lazio's inconsistencies, again, coming back to the surface. So a tough game for them, but a big three points for Napoli. But meanwhile, Inter, Marona. I know I've said that word a lot tonight, but that's the, that's Just, the feeling. Justified at the moment. Because they have they have weathered the storm of playing Milan and Napoli back-to-back. They've come away with four points from that. They go to Venice. They win 2-0. It wasn't necessarily convincing. A nice goal from, yes, Hakan Chalanoglu. And Lataro Martinez sealed it with a penalty. But Inter are right back in the hunt now. I'm um, surprised you didn't use the uh, the beep button when you said Hakan's name. <laughs> I, I couldn't pull it up Re- in time. But. <laughs> Redacted Chalanoglis. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Inter at the moment have really hit their straps. And I've got to say, they're finally starting to gel under Simone Inzaghi. Um, and I feel like there's an air of inevitability now starting to creep over them that I think they actually are shaping up to potentially win the Scudetto this season. Again, because they are just finding ways to win games. Um there's a there's an element of Death Star about him. I mean, they 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 are what, what they are doing, which I think is most impressive to me. Um, not just the way Inzaghi has, as you said, weathered the storm at the start of the season. They were winning games, getting results, yeah. they being amazing. But they have done all that and starting to pick up now. And you know, I think they're unbeaten in the last five. Yeah. Um, pick up in a situation where usually the departure of Antonio Conte, Antonio Conte. Uh, would leave a massive power vacuum, but yeah. Inzaghi weathered the storm, and he's just getting the best out of because a lot of people, got, a yeah. lot of people were asking yeah. questions about some of the players they brought in, like why are you bringing in an aging Ed and Jeko into the fold? Why like, you bring Hakan Chalanoglu? It's, yeah. Why are you bring Hakan Chalanoglu in across from the other side yeah. of the other side of town? Well, you, you can't really say that with Milan, can you? Because it's not the other side of town; literally the same stadium. Yes, but anyway, Chalanoglu has a number of assists this season. I mean, he had. Had some like fent- He's had some really good performances. You can make your own arguments as to what he does okay, to the collective, yeah, yeah, yeah. but stats wise, he's had a good yeah. season. And Jekko has been sensational, unbelievable, sensational, unbelievable. The, the way that Inzaghi has oh, it's not necessarily the most attractive football. It might have no. a bit of that U of a Death Star kind of ball, but we know that that's successful 
you, you know, they can be successful in Serie A and Jacko is playing fantastic. Lotaro Martinez as well is having a decent yeah. season. To get both of them scoring goals, you know, sharing the load yeah. seven each. Well, the thing that I think stuff. will be interesting, the subplot with Inter going forward, is that they've actually made it past the group stage of the Champions League for the mm. first time in a very long time. Which is huge. Like, and for them, yeah, the, and the, 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 yeah. the reputation they have in that There's comp. a very good chance that, meanwhile, Milan and Napoli could both be out of Europe by mm. the time you know, the mm. knockout phase kicks off because there's a very good chance Napoli could bomb out of the Europa League. There's a very good chance Milan could finish fourth in their group still. Um, what this really means is that if that works the other way, how does Inter then cope with more games? Because I'm being honest, as much as Inter have a very good starting lineup, the depth is worrying. The fact that when they do start players like Matias Vecino and Roberto Gagliardini and Andrea Ranocchia, um, and Danilo D'Ambrosio, I know that a lot of Inter fans love him, but there there's is a big drop off. There's something about Gagliardini that I just, I just feel sorry for him. He's, like, he's a, he's a waste. He's a bit of, of a nothing player. He's just, he? he's just never, you know, taken the leap. Um, as all the yeah. hype when he left Atalanta, but um, I mean, look, it's a, it's a big win for Inter. They're getting points. The other team that's not though, that we all picked this season to have a their bounce back after not winning the Scudetto last season was Juventus. Another loss for them against Atalanta at home. The issues in this team continue to just plague them, and it's especially in midfield. Allegri does not know his best 11. This squad is completely incompatible. He does not have the players, nor does he have, you know, not... Not necessarily even about having the system. He doesn't have the players to play the system he wants to play. And he's he's playing, you know, Adrian Rabio or Weston McKennie out wide. And you know, I've got oh, my I'm feelings. Still, about I'm still reeling from the the, the lineup they fielded. Field, no, that <laughs> that that. But uh, I'm still reeling from the lineup they fielded in the Champions League game last week, where yeah. they went with a flat four of uh, like four four two, all centre midfielders yeah. with McKennie and Rabio playing but wide. The thing is, though, this team is completely, completely all over the shop, and there's no easy fix right now because Allegri's living and dying by the 4-4-2. I don't know why. Um, you know, he can easily go to a back three with Chiellini, Delit and Bonucci, which I don't know why he hasn't already, and try and, you know, steady things by at least just compacting the midfield, using Quadrado and Alexandro or Danilo as wingbacks and getting the best out of that front two of Morata and Dybala. It's not happening. And I feel like right now Juventus, there's, there's no way back for them, I think, this season. Mm. I'm putting it bluntly that... You know, they're seven points off fourth. They may be able to go on a bit of a late run and close the gap on Atalanta, but they've, they haven't lost in their last five in the league. I don't think they're catching any of the top three. So there's a big danger that Juventus could be without European football next season because they may be able to... They, it, I don't think it will happen. I think they will potentially play at least in the Conference League, but... There's a big chance that if Roma and Fiorentina continue to get results and Roma have won their last two games, mm. there's every single chance that that could come back to bite them. These well, sort of results. Nick, you got your chance to push plenty of propaganda before, mm. just for the league in general. So I'm going to take, just on the basis of the fact that we're talking yeah. about Juventus, I'm going to take my chance to push a bit of my own propaganda about Juventus' opponents from yes. this weekend. Atalanta. Of course, my beloved Atalanta. I have like two, I have like two Serie A, like Sass and... Yeah, Atalanta. The by, by the way, teams. just quickly on Sassuolo, I know we've already talked about them, but they're playing Napoli next. Mm. That could genuinely be, and I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic here, 
the best game of all time. Oh, it definitely could be the greatest like, game of all if, time. If Victor Osherman was playing, unfortunately, won't be available. Maybe that takes a little bit yeah. of the shine out of it. But still, the the way these teams are capable of playing, the way Napoli is playing at the moment, I think Napoli will win. If, but I think it'll be a fantastic game. If they say COVID stopped the world in March 2020, this will stop the world this for will. a second this time, will. just by based off how nuts this game but will be. Atalanta, a win over Juventus, Duvan Zapata, nice little weird goal. He just sort of yeah. caught someone, you know, playing him on side. Mm. Good weekend for goals off the underside of the crossbar, uh, clearly, yeah. uh, in Serie A. But Atalanta, they're only you know, seven points away from Napoli, but they're in the mix. They're in the mix. They're not that far away from Milan and Inter yeah. ahead of them. Mm. They're not out do of we give them. Uh, do we give them a sniff? I give them a sniff. Because they're going to get some more players back. Robin Gossens eventually will be back on that left-hand side. Mm. Hans Hatterbor as well. I think eventually they'll start to. They're, they're, they're traditionally strong finishes. Uh, mm. And usually the times where the top side start to labor, they find a way to start to get points because they start very slowly and then they pick up their pace as the season goes on. So they don't they don't peak early. And it does it has come back to bite them, when, especially in 2019-20, where they came very close to winning the whole thing, and they probably should have. Oh, um, but in terms me. of Please Juventus, before, before we get to Nick Stoll in just a second, um, Juventus have had a really bad week, and there's yeah. an element of deja vu with this, and I think Juventus fans would be shivering at the thought of another situation to what happened back in 2005. Mm. Um, Juventus are under investigation at the moment. Their headquarters were ra- uh, raided the other day due to potentially another, some more dodgy dealings when it comes to their accounting. Um, they're being investigated for false accounting. Pavel Nedved being investigated, Andrea Agnelli. Um, and it's basically coming down to apparently... It's the emphasis has been put on the plus Valenza. This is what it's called. Plus Valenza uh, deals with other clubs around the world. For example, how they were able to make swap deals for Miralem Pjanic and Artur, which were both valued at ridiculous amounts of money, and both mm. teams were able to get massive. And I, and I do, do recall those massive, both of those yeah, raising eyebrows at the time. Massive capital gain, uh, despite it all. Um, and there's so that so what we're seeing here is that this is how it's going. So Agnelli, Nedved, and Fabio Paratici, who's at Tottenham now, are all under investigation. They're three of the six suspects in this false accounting investigation. There's a big possibility that Juventus could have points deducted. Um, I don't know if it will be at the same level of Calciopoli, where they literally were relegated and stripped of two titles. That was very different because, you know, obviously that situation, mm. match fixing and, you know, everything that happened in with Luciano Moji. But there's a big, big dark cloud, not just on the field, but off the field lingering over Juventus at the moment. And you know what? They just had their Amazon documentary drop as well. Um, and it hasn't been a good two years for the club. And doesn't look like it's getting better. It looks like it's only going to get worse from here. Mm. But, Lockie, let's take a quick break here on the Euro Show here on FNR. Nick Stoll is waiting for us in the waiting room. We'll get to him and talk a little bit of La Liga. Don't go anywhere. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Devano and Lockie Flanagan here. Missed any of our chat at the start? We discussed all things Serie A from the weekend. Some real big games. Milan 
unfortunately losing Napoli. Oh, it just pains you so much it, to say it, it every time, and you know, it's so I, sweet. I, I, it's so I didn't sweet. watch the game live. I actually, I, I had to get up for work early because it was at the terrible time of 1am, the kickoff this morning. Um, Anything and between I, 1 to 3? Terrible, Bin. terrible. Bin. And um, I, I woke up, bleary-eyed, checked the score, and literally just looked at it and then threw my phone back <laughs> down and got up and was like, stuff this, this has been a bad start to the day. Um, and also we chatted a, bit, a little bit about Juventus's issues on and off the pitch at the moment. But now we're going to turn our attention to Spain. We've got Stan Sports, Nick Stoll joining us here to talk all things La Liga. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, boys. I mean, Nick, it's been a bit better for Barcelona over the last couple of weeks, starting to get some results under Xavi. How have you seen it? Look, it's small improvements in patches. Uh, look, you're not going to reinvent the team within two weeks. Um, and look, the win against Espanyol uh, in the derby was unconvincing. Espanyol had two late chances that definitely could have resulted in uh, Barca losing that game. Uh, the game against Benfica, I think, was a big disappointment and puts Barca in a really bad position going into the final game. It's probably, it is possibly the first time that they could miss the knockout stage for the first time since 2004, you know, which is basically the entire Messi era. And then again, look, against Villarreal, there was plenty of moments where Villarreal was the better team. But Barca have, you know, found a way to win um, and that's important. There's a belief there. Um, You know, certain players are getting integrated into the team more, the likes of um, Nico Gonzalez uh, as well as Gavi uh, is really imposing himself on the team. Even Coutinho is coming off the bench and uh, scoring a penalty and he's building in confidence. Um, And uh, players like Frankie de Jong, Frankie de Jong, you know, still not having the most amazing of games, but just being a little bit more decisive, getting into the box, uh, creating chances, whether it's through his passing or through his runs. Um, so small signs of positivity, but still a long way to go. Is there anything specific? Like I, I, we know that from, from, sorry, I have to say his name, Nick, Ronald Koeman, uh, the mm. only the redacted Koeman, uh, the only way <laughs> is up. Um, but are there any yes. sort of specific little tactical tweaks that you, I know it's only two weeks in, you can't necessarily stamp your brand on the team just yet, but have you noticed any slight tactical tweaks from Xavi already? I mean, mainly uh, Kuman like to play with a back three and Xavi is very much wedded to the 4-4, the 4-3-3 formation. So there's those kind of tactics. But honestly, there were times when Kuman's Barca played some decent football. It wasn't all terrible all the time. And then to say that Xavi's football is all good all the time, I think is false as well. So really it's more you're seeing what you want to see, basically. When when you see Barca play well, you think to yourself, yeah, look, they're doing really well. You're forgetting that they were also moments of good football under Koeman as well. So, um, you know, I think the main kind of uh, thing is that the the players look a bit more confident. Um I think even in terms of uh, they know they're a bit clear on what to do when they have the ball. So, for example, um, there was a lot made of Terstegan in terms of when to play short, when to play vertical, and actually the goal came off a very vertical pass from Terstegan straight up to Memphis Depay, got on the end of it and scored to make it two one. So, small tweaks like that, um, you know, more players within the midfield. Uh, it was kind of for a while there under Kuman, it was a lot of De Jong and Busquets. Kind of that was it. He likes to bring Gavi in. He likes to bring Nico in. Even if the players who start wide, they come in and then the fullbacks go forward. So small tweaks like that, but just, you know, very much the Guardiola system, the system that he played uh, as a player there, Xavi, he's very much trying to replicate that. Um, and we'll see how it goes in the coming weeks. 
I mean, what does this do now for the expectations? Because I know that he said he wants to, you know, sort of focus long term. And he's obviously doing that with his team selection, playing a lot of young kids and really giving them an opportunity to thrive. What, 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 where from here? I mean, they're seventh on the table. What should be, I guess, the goal? Would it just be to make the Champions League for next season? Would it be just try and close the gap as much as they can with the top two? How do you see it? I think the goal obviously has to be Champions League um, because of the financial realities of the club. Mm. This club needs that cash injection. Not only that, you know, no players are going to sign any other contracts if they're not playing for a Champions League team. Barcelona won't be able to recruit players. So top four is absolute minimum. Um, Even with all the, you know, rejuvenation of the squad and bringing through young players. The thing is, though, it's not just like he's bringing in any young players. He's bringing in some exceptional young players. I mean, Gavi is already basically a regular now into the Spanish national team and will play at the World Cup. Um, Pedri, unfortunately, is injured, but he should come back around uh, New Year's and he's going to win the Golden Ball. I think he's already won the Golden Ball. Um, you know, he's been a revelation. Uh, Ansu Fadi is one of the most exciting young players in the world, uh, injured as well. Um, but, you know, and then you've got like players like Nico Gonzalez and this is a very talented young group. Uh, they're inexperienced. They will make mistakes um, in moments, but there's enough quality there that they can make top four and they should make top four. As can they go to Munich, get a result um, and, you know, hope Benfica stumbles against uh, Dynamo Kiev. Could be very tough. So they might be going out of the group stage. They might go into the Europa League. That might be good experience for them. Um, it might test their depth as well. Uh, but it's also possible that Bayern rests a lot of players has a lot of players out through coronavirus as well um because that's a big issue for them uh and you know Barca could get a result in munich is not unheard of so look there's the immediate thing which is munich and then after that there's kind of pushing for top four um but no i wouldn't expect them to definitely challenge for the title this season well maybe nick if you're, you're lucky Bayern can end up with a sort of uh i'm not sure if you saw it over the weekend but a belenense situation where Massive COVID outbreak, only nine players, seven nil down, I think, against Benfica at halftime. Strange things can happen. Maybe, maybe Bayern Look, can, uh, can do you a solid. I think I think Barca should consider that option. I think they should send an undercover agent with COVID, try and infect the whole team, and then go over there. Look, I, I would have put a Barca. And what is he doing on the team bus? <laughs> He, yes. Are you, are you sure Pedri's injured, or is he just having his long, long, well-earned holiday that he should have had in the summer? Well, I mean, this is. I remember when he was playing in the Olympics, and yeah. it was like he played about seventy games in a row, and there was all this concern of like, give the kid a break. He's played every three days, um, you know, and basically everyone kind of flagged it then. Just look, this guy's playing too much football, and inevitably he's barely played this season because you know his body's broken down. Now we hope that the damage is only short term, but you know there are a lot of players who kind of broke through at a very young age. I'm thinking players like Michael Owen and even kind of like Robbie Fowler, unbelievable 18 years old, playing all the time for both their national team and their club. And their careers kind of died, you know, around the age of like 24, 25, because they just had too many kind of miles on their on their legs. So I really hope that doesn't happen with Pedri because I think he's a special, special talent in the kind of Iniesta bracket uh, of player. Um, but the way that they managed 
both the way that Barca managed him and the way the Spanish national team, you know, they didn't need to take him to the Olympics. They already had a stacked team. Um, the Olympic medal wasn't to them some great, oh my God, we have to win the Olympic gold medal. You know, they were experimenting a lot with their team. So I, I don't know why he needed to play, especially after he played the Euros as well. And it might cost them going into the 2022 World Cup. I mean, the the official medical, well, unofficial actually, medical report that I'm reading at the moment is saying things about muscular problems, scarring on the quad. I refuse to believe that this is anything other than a very severe set of shoulder injuries for Petri. The amount of carrying yeah, that carrying, he's been doing elsewhere, elsewhere in this season. There, there could be no other explanation, really. That's, that's I mean, look, anyway, injured or not, I hope he gets a good rest. I hope he comes back better. And also this is probably, I'm sure he's itching to get back only because this is a more exciting team to play under. Um, he, of course, uh, you know, has trained with the likes of uh, Gavi and Nico and these kind of young players. He's got a very good relationship with Ansu Fati as well. So, you know, once Barca gets all these players back, Dembele is another one, you know, Dembele, mm. I mean, perennially injured. When in cameos, very talented player, um, one of the most two-footed players I've ever seen. And a two-footed winger is so dangerous because if he cuts inside onto his left foot, he can score. But if you give him space to go on the right, he's happy to just run it in and cross. So he's such a dangerous player. Now, there's issues also with his contract. Um, apparently, he wants more money than Barca are willing to give him. Barca are trying to give him a contract based on incentives and how much you play. And that makes sense because he's going to be a very expensive player who doesn't play a lot historically. Um, but there's a lot of talk that Newcastle are interested and in willing to offer him a lot more money than Barca. So it is possible that Dembele will leave either in January or uh, later in June. But I, th- I think that is like the, the, the way you've listed the, the integration of the young players, both the ones that are injured, the ones that are currently playing as well. A- at the macro level, that's probably the most, the biggest impact that Xavi can have, irrespective of how well his team functions, like his tactics, all that sort of thing. Uh, just the pure fact that all these young players will want every single week to put in their best for a, a living Barcelona legend is, is going to work out as a, even if, Xavi completely fails as a collective. The amount, I would say, and you're welcome to disagree, that these players will push themselves to play for him is going to be a net benefit in the long term for for Barcelona regardless. Yeah, I think so. And and look, there's a... I remember... um, reading an article about uh, when Johan Cruyff first came into Barcelona as a coach and, you know, he had a lot of crazy training methods and, you know, this journalist asked, well, why, if you guys thought they were crazy, why did you go along with them? They said, well, because he's Cruyff. You know, at a certain point when you've looked up to such a legendary player, you will be a bit more open-minded to their methods as opposed to, you know, when uh, Rafa Benitez uh, turned up around Madrid and he was telling Modric not to use the outside of his foot and he was, he was telling, you know, yeah, he was telling another player how to take free kicks and the Madrid players honestly started calling him La Diez, the number 10, uh, as a kind of joke of like, oh, look, this guy thinks he's better than all of us, you know. So the fact that Xavi is such a legend means he will automatically uh, get respect. Um, You know, there's been a lot of stories, and I feel like this always comes out whenever there's a new coach joins a new team, but of the demands that Xavi's putting on the team and, you know, the fact that Xavi is – there was a story on the weekend. He never sat down. The whole 90 minutes he was on the sideline standing and pointing and, you know, he just wanted to get out there and play. Uh, We've all been there. But, you you know, the typical thing of, oh, he's not going to let Gerard Piquet go to his tournament for tennis or whatever. And, he, you know, I don't know, cutting out the tomato sauce or whatever is the, the story they always come up with. But look, these stories always come out. 
but what is clear is Chavi is very clear-minded about what he wants and is much more clear about communicating that. And also, at least in the press conferences, which is what we can see, presents a much more optimistic view than Kuman. Kuman was often reflecting on, well, what do you want me to do? Oh, it's a young team. Uh, you can't really blame me. I'm, I'm only working with what I have. Whereas Chavi is saying, we can do this. We're very positive. We have the players. We have the positive. And that should breed confidence within the team. Yeah, that sounds like the man that Barcelona needs. But Nick... I don't know if you heard Stolich before saying that thing about the outside of the outside of the boot. I think somewhere up in Geelong, uh, Ante Jukic felt a disturbance in the force when when that phrase was uttered. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I mean, Ante, Ante, look, Benitez was completely wrong, but I think Benitez ended up years later denying that he ever said that. I don't know uh, who to believe on that, but we're glad. I think everyone is glad um, that Modric ignored him. I, I think um, Ante shuddered at the fact that you had something positive to say about Frankie de Jong. I think that's another thing in itself. Look, the, the Frankie de Jong hate from Ante comes from the fact that Frankie de Jong just absolutely bossed Real Madrid in 2019 <laughs> in that uh, second round game. And Modric was on his ass when de Jong just went past him. Look, obviously de Jong has not fulfilled his potential. We all thought that he might be a kind of generational midfield talent and he hasn't been that. My argument would be let's wait and see because he's also joined Barca probably in the worst three-year run that they've had since 2007, maybe 2004. Um, you know, an aging Busquets, um, a forward line ahead of him that's been unclear on what it's supposed to do. So the thing that's interesting about Frankie de Jong, he played a lot deeper at uh, Ajax. He played kind of in that number six role, often dropping in between the defenders, picking up the ball. Now he plays in a much more advanced role, which he's not exactly Iniesta in the way that he can sit between the lines, turn and kind of, you know, in between the space, you know, kind of the perfect player in that position. He's much more of a player to kind of progress the ball forward with both his dribbling and passing and then get into the box himself. Um, You know, intricate intricate play on the edge of the box, not so much his forte. Um, but that's where, you know, someone like uh, Gavi and Nico can be very effective. Hey, we mentioned uh, Luka Modric. Uh, Real Madrid are flying at the moment. I mean, top of the league. Mm. They're, they're, mm. They're, I mean, they're ahead of Atleti. Atleti haven't been necessarily anything to, to write home about, but they got a, a, a scrappy win against Sevilla, getting the job done from behind this morning. How have you sort of seen Madrid this year? You know what's killing me about Madrid this year? And I say this openly and honestly that I don't want them to win any game and any time they lose, it's hilarious. But Vinicius Jr., for the last three years, I genuinely was like, ah, good potential, but the guy has no composure. Yeah, he's quick, but that's it. He's got nothing in terms of like killer instinct in the box, can't finish, link up play, no good. This season, he's turned it on his head. He's as obviously as fast as he's always been, but he is a killer in the box. And, you know, I think someone put it today. They said uh, Vinicius Jr. is the player that they thought they were going to get with Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard has been huh. a nightmare, disaster, barely played, barely scored. A uh, hundred million uh, euros they paid for him. Uh, but Vinicius up in that, in that absence, uh, and he's been a revelation. Uh, one of the players of the season. And with Benzema being in such fine form, such, you know, Ballon d'Or contending form, um, you know, that's such a deadly combination. Uh, You know, overall Madrid, how they'll go throughout the season. This is a week La Liga. 
you know, Barca aren't good. Atleti have their issues. Sevilla don't have the quality to challenge at that level. Uh, Real Sociedad are up there, but the depth is an issue. And, you know, eventually they're probably going to come unstuck. So you would expect Madrid to win this title. But I don't expect them to do a lot in the Champions League if they come up the likes of Bayern Munich, I think, are much stronger than Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Um, all these teams are much stronger than them. So, you know, Madrid, impressive, um, but still a ways to go to be where they want to be, which is always the final of the Champions League. Mm. Well, Nick, I know you mentioned him before, but Vinicius Jr., the way you were speaking about him before, how, his brilliant form at the moment, you know, nine goals for the year, um, second only to the player that I do want to ask you about, which is Karen Benzema. How much of Vinicius mm. Jr.'s excellent form and this, um, you know, fresh sort of sharpness that we're seeing from him, how much of that is, is just Karim Benzema rubbing off onto the onto the wing and over to Vinicius Jr.? Uh, it's a good question. Look, I think Karim Benzema is probably one of the best strikers you can play with if you are a winger who likes to cut inside mm. because he is – what he can do, he's equally adept at vacating space – or coming towards you to combine with you to play one-twos and that kind of thing. He's so dangerous on his own that he's always going to drag one or two players um, out of the space for you to run into. Um, And also when he drops, Vinicius can go in behind. So there's a good little tandem going on there. But honestly, that was probably happening last season as well. But Vinicius was just missing every chance he got and overhitting every pass he had. And it was genuinely laughable. Like Vinicius was... He, I actually had no fear when Vinicius was through on goal. Like he was one-on-one with a keeper and it's the only time I'm like, oh yeah, this guy, no worries. And he'd miss every single time. And this season, he gets the ball within 40 metres of the goal and suddenly I'm nervous like, ah, no, he's going to do something. Ah, oh, he's going to do something. Mm. And yeah, that's the player you want if you're Real Madrid. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one last one before we let you go, Nick. Um, we love seeing Atletico Madrid lose. I mean, they, they haven't whoa, been... Whoa, whoa, we do whoa, here, whoa, we do whoa. here, because they do obviously have been, in a lack of a better term, played the football te- played football terrorism for so long. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed it the one time they did it against Liverpool. That, that was about yeah, it, that, really. Yeah, that, before the world came to a stop, that was yeah. fantastic. But, I mean, they're, mm. they're staying in touch in the league. Um, but it's like in the Champions League, they don't want to win. That's what at least what we look like in midway against Milan. It's like they're just happy to draw games. Yeah, look, I mean, they're stuck between this style. I mean, look, Atleti are at their best when they're playing a team like Liverpool or when they're playing a team that, you know, they can really invite to to come at them and open up space in behind uh, a team that they can frustrate. But, yeah, Atleti, I feel like they're never going to be convincing. They're always – everything about uh, Cholo Simeone is about suffering. He says football is – you know, if Danny Rojas says football is life, for Cholo Simeone, it's football is suffering. And it's just all about, oh, you know, we have to suffer through every single game. Uh, and, you know, all of us watching have to suffer watching Atletico Madrid. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think they have uh, quite transitioned – this season in terms of, you know, Jao Felix still, you know, he's injured now, but they still haven't quite got in him in, uh, you know, issues with Suarez hasn't been at his best. Um, you know, they had a good win this morning against Cardiff, but Cardiff aren't anything special. So to beat them is, is nothing 
amazing. Um, Griezmann is starting to find form, which is important for them. Um, you know, he could be really key uh, them for them this season. Um, but they're also their defense isn't as strong as it used to be. You know, it used to be nearly you could barely score against them at home. It, it, they would almost always win one nil. Um, this season, it, it's not quite like that. Uh, I think Savic and Jimenez, you know, they're not quite the impenetrable pair that maybe got in and Jimenez were a few years ago. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one, but I don't think uh, I don't think this is going to be the classic one nil Atleti season where they you know mm. rack up eighty points with one nil wins. Hey, so, Nick, what you're saying is if he's obviously using these Ted Lasso references, you're saying that almost mm. Diego Simeone is like the Nate of season two in the sense that he's got donned the black suit. It almost yeah. feels exactly the same sort of you know difference football is suffering he doesn't want the believe signs up in the change rooms he will rip that stuff down if i was going to compare simeone to any tv character i think it has to be more like tony soprano than nate like (laughs) this dude like you know nate Nate's just a bit of a sour, you know. Lost soul. He's nervously, yeah, he's nervously like kissing girls who don't want anything to do with him. Simeone's the type of guy that will like smile at you and then have your whole family like murdered and, you know, all, all kinds of things going on there. So, you know, if the FNR lawyers want to break it up, just joking. <laughs> Simeone was not involved in that. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely – look, the, the other thing as well for Atleti, it's interesting because they're probably – he's been there now, I think, 10 years. Uh, he's one of the longest-serving managers in Europe. And, you know, they have fully committed to his way of football from, from the first team down. So at a certain point, when does Atleti want to move to a new style, to a new coach? They kind of want it to evolve with Simeone. I don't think Simeone really mm. – I think he can evolve or every time he tries, as soon as he gets nervous, he just goes back to what he knows. In the same way, you know, Guardiola, whenever he gets nervous, just puts on an extra midfielder. He's just like, well, I don't know what to do. I'll just get another midfielder on there. So I think I think he won't be able to kind of change his style enough for Atleti to go to the next level. But then I wonder, you know, who do they bring in? How easy is that transition? Um, it's probably a more longer-term question. Yeah. But I kind of feel like Atleti maybe is stuck in this second, third position now for a while, which, look, is not real shame given the financial power of uh, Barca and Madrid. But this is a team that spent $120 million on a player in Jal Felix. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a concern because we talk about managers, you know, long-standing managers in particular, uh, leaving a vacuum behind them as they step out. And when this sort of uh, system and setup is yeah. ingrained, as you said, Nick, from sort of the senior team mm-hmm. down to the youth level, there's not many, there is not many coaches that can, for, you know, rightly or wrongly, depending on your opinions in football, uh, that can coach a system uh, like Simeone. So they're not just going to find a replacement who can continue to do that. There will have to be like a, a re-imaging, a reinvention for Madrid, yeah. even when it does happen. Mm. And you know what? Like People, I think, forget what Simeone took over. Simeone took over this team. They were in the relegation zone. Mm. They were not your regular, oh, they always finished third behind Madrid or Barca. No, they would finish mid-table, sometimes in the second division. Mm. You know, they'd get one or two good players. You know, Fernando Torres was kind of their amazing superstar, and he just kind of got them up to mid-table. And I was like, oh, oh what, you know, what an amazing job Fernando Torres is doing. So for him to turn them into the team, which is, you know, he turned a league that was only about the big two into the big three, which is actually very impressive. Mm. I guess the problem is 
is that enough for Atleti? Are they accepting of that? Or do they have ambitions of we want to be, you know, up there with Madrid and Barca and to a, you know, a greater extent now, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Manchester City, uh, you know, and even PSG, I suppose. Absolutely. Well, Nick, thank you very much for joining us here. Always appreciate you jumping on the show. Uh, quick little plug. Where can we get the National Curriculum episode two? Look, I believe you can get it um, on any podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, I believe. I haven't checked all of them, um, <laughs> but certainly the one I'm subscribed to, episode two, is there. Uh, I'd say Nick DeBarno made some amazing points. Um, I, I made some okay points. Uh, Lockie wasn't there, uh, disappointingly, but we hope to get him on there. But yeah, go check that out. Um, there'll be a few clips dropping on uh, there, tomorrow on social I as haven't, well. I haven't seen episode two just yet, but were there any more uh, important little notes like news banners. notes the yeah, the banners no. oh we changed there was, one we did one there was no breaking news there was no breaking news oh, but we did shame. adjust one team's name had to be adjusted mid conversation so well, there's one to look now. out for so hopefully whatever obscure yeah. podcast platform underground podcast platform i use i'm sure the national curriculum will be on there and i'll listen to episode 2 yeah, on the way and home. um untied a dmp so i mean it was definitely <laughs> interesting um, yeah, look, Ante is better without Ante, I'm telling you, always. <laughs> Ante would have just said some dumb crap like, oh, oh Modric should win the Ballon d'Or this year. Like, no, nah, no. Nah, that, that's the reason why the West United Perth Glory game was so boring because uh, Modric did not win the Ballon d'Or. There you have it. Um, <laughs> Nick, thank you very much, um, and uh, we'll chat again soon. All right, thanks, guys. No worries. That's Stan Sports. Nick Stoll joining us here on the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Lockie, we've only got a few minutes left, and we promised we'd chat a little bit about the European qualifiers. Well, we um, have to. We have to. We and are dressed for the yes, European so qualifiers. For those who might not be able to see, I've got my Italy uh, Euros Euro winners uh, jersey here. Just well, moving really across. trying to get it into uh, the front. Lockie has actually got a jersey on for a certain song by the band called Baccara. Um, Oh, it's so good. And how good is this song? I'm going to skip a little bit so we don't get done for copyright. Um... Any person who's got any connection to Scottish football knows what what this is about and knows what's coming. As, As Chris McLaughlin, who jumped on last week, was speaking about the Scottish national team, he says that he still is pinching himself about that Scotland are actually playing good football. They're playing really good football. Like it's not just yet. I don't. I, my brain, I does not know. Yeah. Well, what you say, it doesn't make any sense. See, I don't know how to process it. They do have time for espresso. They, they do in Glasgow. They do. They are balling out. They I are mean, balling out at the moment. They've been on fire. But yes, the three parts, the dreaded new World Cup qualification phase in Europe has dropped over the weekend. My heart sank. Waking up on Saturday morning to this one. But let's start with Parthay. The Scottish take on the Ukraine and Wales against Austria. So we could get a Great Britain meeting in the final to decide who goes through to the World Cup. Yeah, it won't be a great... Nick, just letting you know, it won't be a Great Britain meeting for for much longer if if we have our way. But uh, anyway. (laughs) I knew that was coming. Anyway, Um, anyway... um, it look look from a from a Scotland perspective. I was quite disappointed to work out exactly how the new qualification system yeah. works because here I was thinking, oh beauty, or a seeded team will play a home game against one of the weaker opponents, and you get and, the and, and the head, and the boys from Scotland will get us over the line. We only have to win one game, and then we're in the World Cup. We have to win two games. 
Mm. We have to win two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ukraine, I, I, look, I will say this. I think Scotland, on the football they're playing now, mm. are capable of beating any of those four teams. Well, it's in Scotland, the semi. It's yes, in Scotland, which that is, is important. It is going to be pumping. Anyone, oh, who, yes. watched, anyone who watched Scotland play at, at the Euros... Um, knows that the atmosphere is unbelievable and the, the confidence is up, the atmosphere is there. I think if there's going to be any time that they can do it against Ukraine, this is the time, especially when Ukraine are in flux, having just yes. you know, lost their national team manager And remember as well. as well that Scotland were not at full capacity at the Euros in terms of crowd capacities. And they were already yeah. very loud. And if you watch the games against uh, Israel and Denmark in the last two windows, and mm. you heard the crowd when Scott McTominay scored that, shoulder against Israel to win the game, which was oh so important at the end of the day. It was. Um, it was absolutely nuts inside Hampton mm. Park. But if they win, they will have to either go to Vienna or go to Cardiff to take on Wales. So in itself, either way, going to Cardiff to take on Wales, that is... I tell you what, that is a tasty game because that would be the drought breaker for either team because Wales obviously haven't been in a World Cup for quite some time. Scotland haven't either. Mm. No Ireland, which is kind of funny, well, um, but still, no Scotland. It, Scotland or Wales? It's an, it's it's an interesting one because I think I'm I'm thinking at this stage. I'm still not sure who you would again. The caveat here: mm. you, Scotland do have to beat Ukraine, and yes. that is that is a big if. Ukraine have some excellent players; what? they play some extra mm. excellent football. Austria is an interesting one because Austria is something of a known quantity for Scotland. Mm-hmm. They've obviously played each other in the qualifiers in previous years. You know, Scotland won yeah. uh, one of the games. It was a draw, and then Austria won the other. So that, that's a known quantity. Wales are, are a little bit different. Travel is is less. Mm. Uh, look, I don't really want to play any of the games. I just want Scotland to, to be just, honest. Just Scotland, Scotland's hardest game is the semi. Yeah, in probably, my opinion, it, no, the no, game no, against Ukraine is. is the hardest it, game. It probably is. Austria, yeah. a known quantity. Wales. Look, I might I might get some flack for this, but I think I think I think Scotland are a better team. I think Scotland I think are better, Scotland than, Wales, are better team than Wales. Austria are a very underrated team. At oh, the Euros, I agree. they were very good. I mean, they almost beat Italy. Like that game in in London was nuts. They technically took the lead in that match as well. Um, but that that in itself shapes up to be a massive path path B. The path no one cares about because it's like Scotland aren't in it. Jokes. But but in the most recent qualifiers, yes, Scotland were undefeated against Austria. There you go, one 0 win and a two all draw. It's the luck's going in their Just way. We're, we joke us about this second path for all our Russian, Polish, Swedish, and Czech listeners. Uh, Russia take on Poland, Sweden take on the Czech Republic. Maybe the last chance for Zlatan Ibrahimovic to make a World mm. Cup uh, when he's not bashing into Cesar Aspilicueta, as we saw in the last fa- phase of qualifying. Um, and in the path, see this, I am. I, my my heart sunk. I don't think we could have possibly had two more contrasting reactions to yeah. our respective teams. I would have loved draws. to have had path B, but the fact is, it's Italy will take on Macedonia and Portugal will take on Turkey. Can, are you allowed to have a, a path of death? Is that this is the path? <laughs> is, of death. is that allowed? Are but we sanctioning that football? Cliches? I am putting this bluntly, and you guys can remember this. You know when this does happen, Macedonia is the game I'm more worried about. Wow. Because Italy have this tendency to drop. They do have that, that, that tendency small ball syndrome, don't they? Yeah. What was that, that Pacor? We won the Euros. We remember we beat a lot of big teams. So that's the thing. I would be more confident of Italy beating Portugal than I would have them beating Macedonia. It's true because I, th- I think there's one problem we've seen consistently in, in the groups, yeah. you know, in, the, in the qualifying stage. 
um, Nations League as well. Draws against um, Bulgaria, Switzerland, yeah, uh, compact, Northern Compact defences. I mean, as good as the Italian midfield line, as versatile as it mm. is, compact defences, teams that play in tight spaces are not a favourable matchup for Italy. What serves Italy well in this game against Macedonia is if this was a two-legged affair, I would be cacking it because it'd be literally like Sweden all over again because North Mas- Macedonia could go to Italy, they could literally park the bus they could literally sit back and take a nil-nil and go go whether the first leg was in See, was in Macedonia or second leg, and they could just come away with that. In a one-off game, they have to go for it. If they I, can play off the break, but they're going to have to go for it eventually. If I were you, I would be more worried about a single leg than a, than a double. But then again, because though, Because one-off, these games that have happened to Italy throughout qualification are one-off games, someone's pinched it, the small side has, has got a result, and all of those things have added up to to take but, Italy down to the situation they're in. If they just get a, a lucky own goal, if something bad yeah, happens, this is, this is Italy the, are gone. This is the thing, Lockie, is that in history, when you when you think back, when you ask any Italian thing about two-legged affairs, it immediately goes back mm. to the last one against Sweden. Yeah, the goal enough, they conceded in Stockholm, a deflected, like, just a wicked deflection off a, off a long-range shot. But it could still happen and you have and no they, chance of yeah, getting yourself Yeah, but they back. went back to Milan and they parked the bus 11 behind yeah, the ball okay. for 90 minutes. And I know Italy are a much better team now than what they were under Ventura four years ago. But in saying that, if Italy were to go to North Macedonia, sorry, at Rome, in Rome, where it will be for that mm. first game, Rome or anywhere in Italy, they haven't actually confirmed exactly where that game's going to be. But say Italy take an early lead with the crowd on their side, that will open the game up completely. And I think if Italy take an early lead against Macedonia, they'll have no problems winning that game. But then the, the big one comes against Portugal or Turkey. If I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think Turkey are going to beat Portugal. Wow. I genuinely I, think that Portugal. I genuinely think that if it's not if it's not Italy, it's going to be Turkey who qualifies. I mean, it, that would be a great result for you as an Italian and fan. You because know, yeah, Turkey absolutely. But the breeze is, past them. In no, the, the issue is though that the winner of Portugal Turkey hosts Italy or Macedonia. Oh, that's so horrible. this is this is the double edged sword. So, oh, you would not want to. You would not want to play Turkey yeah, in Turkey. You arguably get the better team in Portugal. On paper, so, or you go to Istanbul. I, I, I've been, I haven't thrown too many of my. I've been so worried about path A that I haven't thrown in many of my, you know, two censuses uh, into path C. A lot of people have been like, "Oh my god, this colossal, like, you know, Portugal yeah. versus Italy. It's going to be like one of these big nations. It will is be a miss. terrible match." You know, you know what I think? I think this is a World Cup that Portugal need to miss. Oh, they do. I think they, they need. Do. I think they need to miss it because they have got an excellent. Excellent squad. They've got fantastic players, but. but I don't think I don't I do not think the Fernando Santos. Uh, I do not think that the Fena- Fernando Santos is he's the man. I think that there has been a need for a changing of the guard. Like I, I think the Euro twenty sixteen win just gave over the gave cracks. Santos this massive massive coverage. You know that he could afford yeah. to to continue to take the reins. It's like he could just every time his performance review came up, he could yeah. keep pointing back to, "Well, I did this, <laughs> I want it. literally I want this Look. thing right here." Yeah. But I think they need to move on. They, they need. Do. They've got such a good team. They should not uh, like Italy in many ways. But again, we have they, faith. Uh, Portugal should not even be in this position to begin with. Their team is too good. They have too many great players who can play well together with a competent manager. I think they need to miss out 
And that is the clear sign that Fernando Santos needs to perform a changing of the guard. What I see of Portugal right now is a lot of Italy of 2017. Very Mm. similar because Italy needed to miss that World Cup because of where that squad was at and where they were at as an entire sort of from top to bottom in a governance stance and everything. The Missing the World Cup was the best thing, when you think about what happened with winning the Euros, the Mm. best thing that happened to Italy. I know the World Cup qualification since that has been an absolute disaster. There's no other way to put it. Um, But but when you think about it, Italy did not lose those games entirely because of performance as well. They lost in individual moments, missing penalties, squad decisions from, you know, but there's those small things about... Mancini's copped a lot for nepotism in a sense for f- picking his favourites, guys like Chiro Immobile and a lot of the guys that took him to that trophy back in June, July. Portugal right now, similar situation because you mentioned stacked squad. Guys like Andre Silva, Bernardo Silva is having an amazing season at Manchester City, Rafael Liao, Diogo Jota, João Felix, but there is this consistent need to keep playing Cristiano Ronaldo, to keep going to the same names. Like... I know Pepe is having a great season at FC Porto, but why is he playing ahead of some of these other younger players? Like Jose Font is still being selected at 37. Yeah. Jean Moutinho is still being selected at 35. There's still so many of the same names going back to the well. Well, and, that, and that's exactly what Italy did when they lost that World Cup. Exactly. It, it did bring around that, A, new manager, new yeah. ideas, but also a regeneration. Some of those players that we saw strutting their stuff mm. and playing so well they were uh, moves on at at well, but also some of the young the young players who were playing who were playing so well at the Euros and at club level are doing so and were able to do yeah. so in 2021 because they were given scope to do exactly that uh, at, for club and country in the previous yeah. years. And I think that's something that Portugal need because further afield, when you ignore the older players, the aging guard of this squad, there is so much else beneath that that is capable of making Portugal. A generational team. Exactly. It just needs a manager with a fresh set. I think, at least, it just needs a manager with a fresh set of ideas and someone with the goal to maybe tell Ronaldo it's time to step it's aside. Time. And I think you know what? If Portugal do miss it, you know what will actually. You know what I think will happen? There'll be a reverse effect for Cristiano Ronaldo. You, we might even he, see the, the. This might even be. I don't think that Ronaldo retirement. would step aside. I think wow. if he no no you know what would happen? Will I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's one of those semi faux retirements similar to remember when Messi retired from international football because they think they lost the mm. Copa America and he literally just said that's it. Yes, yes that's it. Remember. I'm out of here. Like I'm done. But he was back. Um, mm. I think about the amount of times Latan's retired from the Swedish national team. Yeah, like, that's true. You remember before the 2018 World Cup, Latan wasn't part of that team. And then everyone was saying, oh, is he going to come back? And he said, no, no, no. He goes to the MLS, he comes back, he gets that taste again, and straight away, I want to play for Sweden again. It happens. Chiellini technically retired after that game against Sweden. I'm not going to doubt how good Chiellini's been for Italy, especially at the Euros. But he's another one. You can't. The bug doesn't go away, and arguably, if you don't make it, that bug for Cristiano Ronaldo, the fact that he did not play the entire final and wasn't out there on the pitch, even though, as Pacquiao producer said, technically coached the game, similar to a certain GM LeBron James does whenever he's not playing for the Lakers, um, you know, he, he, it would, it would. It would, you'd feel that, the fact that I got yeah. injured in that final. I want to be part of that. I want to be able to, to do that. And he probably thinking, oh, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to get to the next World Cup. He'll be by that stage 41, I think, or Also, 40. another problem, where's the uh, – again, I know that Nick Stoll had some problems with the uh, 
Nick Stoll had some problems with the FNR legal team. I might throw yeah, myself in I, as well. I know exactly Where's what you're Where's the next about? World Cup going to be, In Nick? the US. And we know what will happen if he steps foot in the US. And that in itself poses a whole... That opens up another can, can of worms entirely. So then it just leaves the Euros in 2024 in Germany mm. where he will do everything. And I will tell you this. If Portugal don't make the World Cup, he will do everything to be there and win that Euros. And he, yeah. it will get worse for Portugal. Because there will be this reliance, we need to win it for Ronaldo, we need to win it for Ronaldo, and Ronaldo will not step aside because he'll want to still start the games. Mm. He'll still want to be part of it. I, and look, I, I still think the problem with for Portugal is is less about Ronaldo, more about Santos. I think there's I think, a bit of both. I think you could get a new manager who uh, you need somebody who's gutsy, like a, a real character yes. to come in and and just have the you know have the chutzpah to be able to negotiate with Ronaldo and say, look, I'm coming in, I've got new ideas. You know, Fernando Santos gave you a lot of scope. He always looked to you. You guys have had a long look. relationship. He let you manage the team, basically, at some point. Look, I, you're, you're a bench yeah. player for me. You look. are coming off the bench and you are getting up for headers and that's what I need you, know you to what? do and that's it. And it, it that might be the, the worst best thing. thing. That really might be the best thing for Portugal. Imagine Portugal... Wheeling out a starting like imagine they went four two three one. Imagine their front four. You got Bernardo Silva on you know playing. You got oh, sorry Andre Silva at the top as a number nine. You've got Bernardo Silva as a ten. You chuck in Diogo Jota on one wing. You can even have João Felix on as a ten and then put Bernardo Silva at wide. You can whack Rafael out on the wing as well. That is so dynamic. That is just unbelievable to think about. How that's that's arguably. Putting it putting it bluntly, they're arguably the best attack in the in Europe, even without Ronaldo. And there's so many more years for it to yes, be that. Yes, it as could well. be the best attack for God knows how long. It could get better, and they mm. can bring in other players as well. They've got youngsters like you know Trincao and Pedro Neto and Goncalves and Rafa Silva, the guys that are playing regularly. I, I saw um, the other day Goncalves for Sporting Lisbon scored a double in the Champions League mm. they have got talents but the thing is there's this still reliance on Ronaldo but if they do make the World Cup one thing I wouldn't be surprised about I, mean, I know we've got to go but if Portugal don't win the World Cup could you actually see or say they don't qualify don't for the qual- World so, so, so no actually no say they make it okay. yeah. and say they bomb out mm-hmm. would Ronaldo hang it up after that because he had that opportunity the last World Cup or would he still be like, all right, I'm I don't going think so. to the Euros? I don't think so. I think I think Ronaldo is the kind of player who he will keep going until... He doesn't strike me as a person who's so proud that he quits while he's ahead. I think he keeps going until the wheels yeah. fall off. Well, um, My question, though, and maybe this, is what we, maybe this is what we end the show on, is that a lot of the focus has been about the expectation, at least from our end, that Portugal are not getting through this, that Italy is probably the most likely team. I do still believe mm. that is the case. Stranger things have happened, I will say. However, this is the final question for you to, to answer, and, and yeah. we end the show on this. If Italy don't make it through... What happens? What does this mean for Roberto Mancini? <sighs> the Euros, the Euros in a similar way to Fernando Santos... He's it, safe? It's, he's safe, but it would be a unmitigated disaster because Italy haven't won a knockout game since 2006. They've only won once at a World Cup... That would be one World Cup win by the time 2026 rolls around in 20 years. Mm. One win. Two World Cups missed in a row. They can go out and then win the Euros in 2024, but the fact is they've missed two World Cups. One World Cup's okay because you can just go, yep, it was one World Cup. We needed that. We won the Euros. The expectation coming out of that international window was, okay, Italy will just go through the motions and get the job done. It didn't work like that. They miss out. And this, if anything... 
knowing Italy in history, these are the games Italy win. One-off games when it matters. I think back to 06. I think back to 2012. I think back to 2016. I even think back to the last Euros. When the chips are on the table in these big games, Italy usually thrive. But when it's those games where they are, there's a potential place where they can be arrogant, complacent. Mm. They tend to fall off. And I thought under Mancini that was gone. That was all bygone era stuff. I think back to 2010 under, you know, Marcello Lippi drawing against Paraguay and New Zealand and losing to Slovakia, losing to Costa Rica at the 2014 World Cup against a smaller nation, you know, not necessarily taking them seriously. My worry is coming up against Macedonia, a team that are going to not make it easy. Italy cannot afford to treat this game as it's just going to be a walk in the park. Italy, what I saw, what they did against smaller teams at the Euros, when you think back to the group stage... Yeah, it's a banana skin, isn't it? When you saw what they did the group stage, especially against Turkey and Switzerland, when they harnessed the crowd and harnessed the energy and they were able to put the game away early, Italy have an innate ability to kill off a game just like that. But it comes down to, again, attitude, but also most, most importantly, and we'll end it now, Marco Verratti needs to play and Ciro Immobile cannot start in either of those games. This is the time... For Gianluca Scamacca to lead the line, your boy, or it's time to nat- uh, naturalize Jao Pedro from Cagliari. He wants to play for wow. Italy. He is I the would... highest scoring Brazilian player in Europe. I love that. For the past year. The guy is a baller. He He's very, very good. If you haven't watched his highlights, go and suss him out at Cagliari. He's, I know he's playing for like the bottom team in Serie no, I am always a sucker yeah. for a naturalized player. Like everyone yeah. else hated Diego Costa. Me, I was kind of like, I'm, I'm open to it. <laughs> Uh, that is, that is a yeah. great idea, and all I will say, you've you've made excellent points. All I say is, mm. I am glad that Scotland and Italy are on different qualification paths. We we don't have to worry. See about you that. with the tournament. See That's you in twenty twenty two. Well, we'll see you as well next Monday. Uh, tomorrow night, big shows planned. Lockie will be back for the Oz Football Hour. Leave us what. The yes. new names, the Oz Football Hour, and we've also got title. Radio Dub with Pakua Frimpong for an A-League women's uh, season preview. The season finally kicks off this weekend. Uh, I believe that she's going to be joined by a very special guest. I'm not going to feel any spoilers just yet, or can I? I can? Okay, she'll be joined by ESPN's The Guardian's Optus Sports. He literally writes for everyone these days. He's a, he, he, he said to me, I really need a day off the other day when he, when he says, like, I need a day off. And uh, that is Joey Lynch. He'll be joining, them, uh, joining her tomorrow. And Wednesday, the green room's back. Exciting yeah, stuff. It is. Don't know exactly who we got on just yet, but, but keep your eyes Whoever it is, they'll be excellent. And All also, the green room guests this year have been fire. And also congratulations to FNR's own Nick Hughes for securing a full-time job at Western United. We applaud you for getting that one. We, we love your work here at FNR. Nick but uh, for myself, Nick Tabano and Lockie Flanagan, we say sayonara and we're back again next Monday from 6pm. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buongiornata. Buonasera. Buongiornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> You don't have to get about it, did you? You don't have to get about it, did you? Attaccare! Attaccare!